Now, this is going to be a tough question for you, all right? So I'll give you a little chance to think about it. What makes you really angry? Okay. People who cut you off when you're driving to work or you're going somewhere. Um, guys, can we turn on the heat a little bit? I can see everybody doing this. Um, churches where they don't turn on the heat. Um, people who steal your credit at work or, you know, maybe in your family. Um, people are just rude, you know, who just, who say rude things. Bosses that don't seem to care whether you exist or you don't exist, don't in any way treat you as if you matter that you contribute. Maybe an illness. If any of you have ever had a chronic illness, it's frustrating. It can make you angry. What is it that makes you angry? For some of you, I know, it's just turning on the evening news makes you angry. Your spouse, your kids. I doubt there's a day that goes by that you don't, in one way or the other, find contact with anger. And that brings up the issue, how do you handle it when you get angry? Most people will try to suck up as much of it as they can and then deal with it passive-aggressively, find little ways to just kind of let it out and tweak the person they're angry at, or they'll do the Christian thing and just pray to God that God will make them go away. Some people just, they, they wear it on their sleeves, man. You make them angry, they will explode all over you. There are all sorts of ways. We do. Some people just walk around with that attitude. They don't say anything, but you can see it on their face. Just discontent, contempt. Some people, they carry it around in what we call depression. Yeah, they seem down, but they're down because there's so much anger inside of them. Some people just wear it in what we call somatic ways. In other words, they hold it in and, and the tension of it gives them headaches and neck aches and back aches and they're always suffering from some complaint or another. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a doctor and uh, we were talking and I said to him, um, so what's your day like? I mean, what kind of patients do you see? What kind of problems do you run into? And he said this to me, and, I, I, and, and Paul Collins might be able to attest to this. He said, 65% of what I see is all anxiety. I said, you're kidding? He goes, no. He goes, most of what they think is wrong with them, there's nothing wrong with them. Yeah, the tension that we can carry. What do you think about angry people? When you... Th- Think of people who are angry. When you see people who are angry, what are the first thoughts that come into your mind? I know for me, if I see that as a pattern, there's an immaturity in that. 
there's a brokenness in it. And there's a, a deep unhappiness. But if they, if they live that way consistently, it begins to turn into a meanness where their anger just becomes license to be mean to others. We're doing a series called Emotions. What do you do with them? Why? Because we deal with them every single day. You know, last week we talked about sadness and how all of us encounter it. In the same way with anger, probably even more, we all encounter it. The emotions we have matter because we deal with them every single day. And they matter, as we've been saying all along, it's because God gave us the emotions that we have. He gave them to us because he created us in his image. And God is an emotional God. He's, as we said, he isn't some Dr. Spock who's just cognitive, who just spits out uh, phrases of logic. He is a God of passion. He is a God who grieves and is sad. He is a God who rejoices. He's a God who gets angry. Emotions matter because they're God's gift to us so that we not only know something, but we know it to the bone. We feel it. It has a physical reaction to us because God wants us to know the depth of his love for us and the depth of all the good things that he gives us that we might actually feel them. This morning, we're going to look at anger because anger is an interesting thing, especially when you look at the Bible. For the most part, when you study the scriptures, what you see is this. Anger is something that's usually discouraged in the Bible because of the way that we handle it. Because we don't handle anger well. You go right back to Cain and Abel. When Cain is angry and God says to him, look, sin is crouching at your door and it longs to have you. Don't give in. But he can't control it. And he kills his brother. Usually when you see anger in the Bible, it's something we're told to steer away from. Not to avoid in the sense of becoming passive, but not to indulge in the sense of what goes on in our flesh when we become angry. And yet, we also see in the Bible that God gets angry. We see God getting angry with the people of Israel. We see Jesus in the temple tipping over the tables and just going off on the people because of their sinfulness and the way that they're treating God's house. So, what do we do with it? Why is it such a problem for us when we know that, yeah, there is a such thing as godly anger and yet most of the time our anger is ungodly? 
we're going to look at a passage of scripture um, and we're going to look at a, a historic story that um, is by a person who, whose life we, we know best out of probably all of the Old Testament uh, figures and yet whose problems we tend to know least. We're going to look at um, the, a, a piece of the life of Moses. Um, Moses was, as we kind of think when we first think of him in our minds, a good guy who led people out of a bad land off to a promised land. And that, I think that's about people's mindset on Moses. They, they say, you know, Moses was this good guy that God used to lead these people away from a bad guy. But Moses is a little more complex than that. Um, in fact, when you really pay attention to Moses' life, Moses had an anger problem. In fact, very early on in his life, when, when we really see his life emerge, it emerges in anger. Early on, as he is being raised as an Egyptian, he gets angry, and he actually kills a soldier. And because of that, has to run away and loses many years of his life that God ultimately redeems. But when you study his life, you see that, that underneath the surface, Moses was a person who had his own personal problems. Um, this morning, we're going to look at the end of Moses' life. Um, and we're going to see the consequence of all that anger that didn't get dealt with and ultimately dealt with him. Now, let me make it clear. Yeah, Moses paid for the things he did along the way. Just like you and I pay for the things that we do along the way. And yet... Even though we pay for something along the way, if we don't change, the stakes get raised. The consequences get higher. What it does to us as people in our personalities, we begin to become a little bit twisted in the way that we respond, even to God. And so we're going to look at what goes on in Moses' life. We're going to look at... Uh, from the book of Numbers, and we're going to look at Numbers chapter uh, 21. Now, let me give you a little bit of background on this. Um, well, first of all, why do they call this book that Moses wrote Numbers? You ever ask yourself that question? You call it any other thing, why call it Numbers? Uh, the term literally goes back um, to um, the Septuagint, which was a Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. Um, in the original Hebrew, it meant, uh, in the first line of the book, in, in the days of the desert. Because what you find in this book is about the period of Israel wandering in the wilderness. You find all sorts of statistics and data and, and things that 
are just meant to be historical facts where we literally get the numbers on all of it. And so that's a reason for why they call it numbers. What we find in this point of the book is we see Moses at the pretty much the end of his life. And um, if you know Moses' life, you can't help but read the book and feel for the guy. Because his job was to lead Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land. The problem was the people he was dealing with were just like you and me. It was just like herding a bunch of cats to go for a long journey who did nothing but snarl and claw at each other. In fact, it almost seems like every day of the journey for Moses was just draining because all the people did was complain. Complain that they don't like the food, that, that, that there, there isn't enough of it, or they don't like the variety. They don't like where they're at. When God gets them to the point where they're to take the promised land, they say, no, uh, our neighbors are too scary. We don't want to go. And so for their disobedience, God punishes them. And God and Moses has to lead him in that punishment of traveling around in circles in the, in the desert for 40 years until that generation dies off. Listening to them whine every day. Imagine what it was like to be Moses. A guy who has an anger problem as it is. A guy who's easily overwhelmed in life. In fact, we know of Moses that in his early days, we think he probably had a problem with stuttering. He wasn't confident and had no assurance even in his speech to the point that that when he had to approach Pharaoh, he had to use his brother to do the talking for him. A guy who easily became overwhelmed. Can you imagine what it would be like to be that person having to lead people for over a period of 50, 60 years, listening to them whine every day. And you're already trying to deal with your own anger. You got to feel for the guy. Well, we take the story up when we're just coming towards the end of Moses' life. Look what we read. Now there was no water for the community and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, if only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. You know, if I was their leader and they said something like that to me, I'd be saying, yes, if only you had died. I wouldn't have to be here anymore. I mean, imagine that kind of gratitude, you know. You, you dedicate your life to a group of community, to a community of people. And their response to your leadership is, you know, we wish we were dead. Well, thank you very much. I'm glad you appreciate me spilling out the best years of my life for you. Why did you bring the Lord's community 
into the wilderness that we and our livestock should die here. Now, boy, talk about treachery. Why did you bring the Lord's community? In other words, we're all on God's side over here and you are not. You're the problem. Could you feel your blood boiling at that? That we and our livestock should die here. The only reason they ever died was because of their disobedience. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs or grapevines or pomegranates. And there is no water. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, Take the staff and your brother Aaron, gather the assembly together, speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. Boy, talk about the grace of God, huh? It's, it's funny how we can see ourselves and we can see other people and think to ourselves because of our own scorekeeping that God's all done with them. I mean, if they tick me off, how much more must they tick God off? And therefore, God, I'm sure, could care less about these people. And that God isn't like that at all. Even in, the, in their grumbling. Because when they were grumbling against Moses, they were grumbling against God. Because Moses was God's man. And yet God doesn't respond like that. He hears their cry, he weighs it, and he weighs the experience and the meaning of what he's about to do. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he had commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, listen, you rebels. Now, those are exactly the words that God told him to speak, right? <laughs> Moses is ticked. He is fed up with their whining. He is fed up with their betrayal. He's fed up with their uh, ingratitude. He's had it with these people. So yeah, he does what God tells him to do, but he takes some poetic license in it too. He uses it as an opportunity to stick it to the people. It's what we call being passive aggressive. In other words, yeah, you can't do anything and, and now I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it to you. Because you know, here's the thing about anger. If you don't work it out, you will act it out. And that's exactly what goes on with Moses. So he takes the opportunity as he's gonna give them what they want to tell them what a bunch of jerks you are. Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? 
Then Moses raised his arm and he struck the rock twice with his staff. Detect a little bit of a tantrum going on. Water gushed and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I have given them. These were the waters of Meribah where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord and where he proved holy among them. See, most people, when you think about Moses, they say, yep, nice guy, led the people, you know, took them through the Red Sea. I mean, you know, great stuff. And then he led them through the wilderness and then he brought them into the promised land. No, he didn't. His anger had finally caught up with him. And it was ugly. And God said, enough. I can't use you like this. What was the problem? I mean, what did Moses do that was so wrong? Because sometimes when you watch people get angry and they go off, you can just let it slide. You can look and say, well, they got a little upset, but no big deal. But when you're on the other side of it, you can see and feel the impact more than people just watching. The big deal was this. God told Moses. He commanded Moses what to do. And in Moses' anger, he came to that point and decided, I'm going to do what I want to do. How many of you have been there? Where you get angry and you decide, I'm going to do what I want to do. In fact, there are people that, because of their anger and, yep, sometimes bad circumstances, but what they do with those bad circumstances is that they become so angry it affects their personality. That we, we call them antisocial personalities. What does that mean? That they're not social? No, it doesn't mean that. It means that they won't obey the rules of society. Yeah, Bernie Madoff, perfect example. I'm not going to follow the rules. I'm going to do what I want to do. And, you know, over time, they become sadistic. They don't mind causing other people pain because they feel pain. They always bend the rules. Now, for the record, I'm not saying Moses was antisocial personality, all right? But what I am saying is this. God gave him an opportunity to be used and to experience the joy of surprise and, and marvel at what God could do, but he didn't even see that. All he saw is once again, God is going to show up for these people and once again, God is going to deliver for them 
And once again, I have to take it on the beak. Not this time. This time, I'm going to play it a little differently. This time, I'm going to get my pound of flesh. Getting your pound of flesh never, ever works. It just doesn't. And so God gives him a command and he disobeys it. What good is a leader who won't obey the commands of the one who is issuing the orders for the people to follow? Not only does Moses disobey, but he takes a credit for it. Why do we have to do this for you? Anger can twist the way you think. You ever get offended? Someone does or says something or you feel snubbed by it and you get angry and you think, how could they do that to me? It's okay if they do it to someone else, but to you, that's a crime. And yet you forget all the ways that you offend God. And you become self-righteous and you think you're better than. And so the minute somebody makes you angry, you start thinking not only do you carry the righteousness of God, but you are the voice of God. Moses forgot the person who sent him because his, his thinking had become so distorted. And he walks up there as an instrument of God's glory so that God's glory might shine before the people that it might fall upon them and, and he just he just perverts it. Because anger will pervert everything. In fact, anger will make perverts of us all in every way. I've never met anyone who's engaged in some sexual crime or that there wasn't anger behind it. And so Moses steps up, disobeys God, and takes the credit for what's about to happen. And, and really, he blows it. If he really wanted to show the people how powerful he was, he would have just spoke like God said. He would have just spoke to the rock and the word of God came out. But no, in his rage, he just starts smashing the rock. He just, he takes what God had intended to be a blessing and he, and he makes it an embarrassment to himself. Thirdly, Moses perverts or I'll say casts a shadow on something powerful that God was doing. Because what God was doing in this was giving an image, a foretaste 
of the Christ. If you have your Bibles, turn to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Beginning in verse 1, Paul writes these words. I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Anger will make you miss God. Because what, what God had spoken to Moses, the opportunity he was given to Moses was an opportunity to go out and to engage in this miracle that would point them to the rock that would come one day that would give them the water that would quench their thirst forever. And Moses, he, he missed it. He didn't even see it. An opportunity for him to see more of God's glory, an opportunity for him to engage in a symbol that would become a part of his life and the people's lives that would point to the coming of the Christ. And yet, while it did, it, it meant nothing to Moses. And it became a stumbling block to the people. You, you, you wonder, how much of Moses' anger affected the people? And I don't know. So I'm not going to make this walk on all fours here. But you got to wonder, did some of that grumbling come from just the fact that they were ingrates? Or maybe they saw in Moses' face contempt. Here's a takeaway that I want to give you this morning from this. Anger becomes danger when we personalize our problems. Anger becomes danger when we personalize our problems. See, here's the deal. Moses should have remembered, I'm just here as God's appointed leader. This isn't personal. If they're getting upset with me because I'm doing what God wants, it's not about me. It's not my problem. And even though it's a problem and I have to deal with it, I'm not going to personalize it because God's with me. The minute you start personalizing your problems, the minute you start looking at the world against you and you're all alone, you're going to become angry. 
The minute you start thinking and perceiving that someone is, has hurt you or harmed you, and you make that personal, then you're going to become angry. Moses was God's leader. And look, I, I can tell you, 30 years in ministry, I know that feeling. You're trying to do the right thing. You, you're, in all your heart, you're trying to lead God's people where you think God would have them. And it's like herding cats. And they're looking at you thinking, you're the crazy one. You're the problem here. Now, we know that could never be. Um, I can understand that, but I also know what it means to step back and hear God say, why are you personalizing this? You're doing in your heart what you think is best. Then don't personalize. Now, for the record, does that make me better than Moses? Yes. Um, kidding. But, but I understand what it feels like because it's you personalize all the time. You minister. You go up and you sing a song before the church, and and you hear someone say, "Well, that was nice, but you were a little loud." And you think, you know, I'm up here giving the, that's all? And now you become angry about something you were trying to do for the glory of God. I, I deal with this one all the time. You go out and you try to minister to someone, you try to care for someone, and they burn you. Or they take what you're giving but then they just ignore you and, and maybe even misrepresent you or lie about you and you get angry and you think, how could they do that? After everything I've tried to do for them, how could they do that to me? It's because you personalized it. It became about you and not about what you were trying to do for them for God. When I try to love someone for the sake of the gospel and they don't love me back and I get angry, it's because it wasn't for the sake of the gospel. It was, it was for me. It was so I could feel good. I could feel useful. I could, I could look good to them and hopefully look good to God. It's like God could care how I look. Anger becomes danger when we personalize our problems. Because if, if Moses had understood, look, first of all, these problems don't even matter. This is kid's stuff. I, I'm the leader because my job is to help them mature. What am I getting? Why am I acting more immature? And God is with me. And I should be playing to an audience of one. Not to everyone, but the one that matters. 
And the minute he did that, he got stuck. Think about your own lives. Moms, I love moms. You know, whenever I deal with moms who have kid problems in counseling, they always blame themselves. Fathers don't do that. They just say, bad kid, you know, bad seed. You know, what? not our fault. Moms never do that. Moms always agonize of how they must have messed up the kid. But where does that leave you? You're going to get angry. You're going to get angry at God. You're going to get angry at the schools. You're going to get angry at yourself. And yeah, you're going to get angry at the kid, but it's not going to be, you're going to get angry at him because he's making you feel so bad about yourself, but he's not making you feel so bad about yourself. You are. Anger becomes danger when we personalize our problems. Is there a righteous anger? Yeah, it's the anger where we get upset because someone is hurting someone else. And we know that's not right before God. It's the anger that we have when when we see a Christian trampling over the things of Christ and acting like it doesn't matter. There is a righteous anger, but even with that, we have to be so careful with that. Anger becomes danger when we personalize our problems. You have problems, you take them to God. In fact, let's just get to it. How do we deal with it? First, you pray. If you're angry, then you step back and you pray about it. You talk to God. You get your mind straight. Because when I'm talking to God, I'll hear God talk back to me. And if I'm listening, I might hear him say, you know what? You don't have a right to be angry. You did something that was offensive and hurtful and that's why you're getting this back. And you need to go and repent. And it'll be okay. You pray because even if what you're doing is right, you need to get your head right. That as long as what you're doing is right, nothing matters. Life nor death, it doesn't matter. You pray because it's a reminder of, I play to an audience of one. And if I'm truly playing to an audience of one, then I don't have to be angry with none. You pray, too, you process. You step back and you look carefully at what's going on. What's going on for you inside? What are you thinking about God in the midst of your anger? Where are you missing it? Anger's a wonderful tool. We said before, emotions 
help us to, to read what's going on inside of us, not to rule how we behave. When I feel something intense, I want to look at it. And I want to see where it comes from. I want to ask myself, what am I thinking? And is that thinking correct? Number three. We plan. We step back and we say, God, how do you want me to handle this? Yeah, I pray and I process, which means what? I don't just speak. I learned this probably 15, 20 years ago. I'd be in a, in a church meeting, and not here, it actually happened in my first church, where people would hit me with questions in, 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 a, in a church meeting. And, they'd, and sometimes it'd be like these pointed questions, and, and I'd feel threatened, I'd think, well, you know, I've got to have an answer, you know? And, and because I felt an edge to them, there'd be an edge to me, and I hated it. And I remember one time thinking, you dummy. You don't have to answer. You don't have to respond. You can say, you know what? Let me get back to you. Let me go pray. Let me go process. So I can plan, so God can show me how I'm going to handle this, what I'm going to say, what I'm going to do. Whether I deal with this or I just simply walk away. Romans 12. As far as it depends on you, if it's possible, live at peace with everyone. There are times I don't have to deal with things. I don't have to fix everything. I don't have to fix everyone. Because I can't. And I don't have to get angry. Because people aren't being for me who I want them to be. I just got to look, am I being who God wants me to be? If God wants me to deal with this, then then I got to listen to how he wants me to deal with it. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. Where's the truth in this? Lastly, you proceed. If you feel God saying, you know what? Just like the Bible says, if your brother sins against you, then fine, rebuke him. And that means go and speak words of correction. If he repents, you forgive him. But you you proceed as God wants you to proceed. You don't wait, you don't talk to 10 of your best friends hoping that maybe they'll talk to the person and you won't have to because Christians are avoidant. We don't deal with conflict because that wouldn't be nice. And we want to be nice. No, that has nothing to do with it. We're just avoidant. We just don't like conflict. Nobody does. But if you don't work it out, you'll act it out. If you don't deal with a problem, you'll become angry. And in time what it does to you in your personality, what it, what it does to you in the quality of your life. 
So you proceed as God would have you proceed. What do you do with your anger? I saved that last picture last because it's the best. Um, How many of you are familiar with uh, The Incredible Hulk? You remember that movie? Any of you guys big fans with uh, David Banner and uh, with, um, who was the first? Bill Bixby, Bixby, yep, and Lou Ferrigno. He was my favorite. Um, Yeah, it was about a guy who, uh, he had a painful past and a forgotten past and uh, and he got caught up in um, an explosion in a laboratory where he suffered too many gamma rays. I've met people like that, um, and um, and he survived. But as you know, whenever he would get angry, he would turn into this big, ugly creature. Um, I love the words of Banner. He says, I don't know who I am. I don't know what I'm becoming. But one thing I know for sure, you wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Because no one does. The difference is... We do know who we are. We're children of God. And we do know where we're going. And so maybe if that's the case, maybe they should even like us when we are angry. Because we don't deal with it the same way the world deals with it. story of a guy who, uh, who had signed up for this reenactment of the passion of Christ. And so he played the Christ figure carrying the cross and as he was carrying it through the streets of Jerusalem, um, people mocked him and yelled at him and, and, and were making it in front, literally laughing at him and insulting him, just not because they were trying to act like the crowd to Christ, they just thought this guy was really horrible. And at one point, he just threw the cross down, went over and punched this one guy in the face. <laughs> and, and so after the reenactment, you know, the director said, you can't do that. You're playing Jesus. You can't punch people in the face. And so he said, okay, I, I won't do it again. I won't do it again. So the next day as they're doing it you know, around Easter time, same deal. This one guy just keeps harassing and hurling insults and laughing at him and making fun of his body. He just drops across and he goes back and he punches him in the face again. And the director says, look, we're going to have to let you go. We can't deal with this. You know, Two days in a row, the image they have of Jesus is punching people in the face. You can't do this. So he begs and he pleads with them. And, and finally, the director says, all right, I'll give it one more shot. So he goes, he carries his cross and the guy's there and the guy starts on him again. And then at one point, he's just, he's clenching his teeth and his nail and he's trying to white knuckle the thing and, and, 
and people can see the anger. And by now, the crowds are they're waiting, you know, when he's going to punch them in the face. And, and after a certain point, you know, the guy drops across and goes to the guy, and he says to him, you wait till after the resurrection. That's sometimes the best we got. But it's not very good. Sometimes, yeah, I'm not hitting you, but boy, it's because I'm being godly. And people see it on your face. And so the thing is this, do your emotions matter? Of course they matter. They express everything you're thinking and feeling and they twist what you're thinking. If you don't deal with them. And for sure, if you don't deal with your anger, oh my word, bad things will happen. You'll never have peace. You'll never have joy. And every good thing you do will be fraught with all sorts of complications. And like Moses, you'll do what God will have you to do, but you'll, you'll do it in a way in which no one sees God in you. And that's not God's will. God's will is this. Don't personalize your problems. Lean on me. And nothing else will matter. Let's pray.